0: Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time of year and that we can come together no matter where we are, no matter our highs and our lows, you welcome us in. And I pray that as this word is brought forth, we would see not only your passion for people, but you proved it, and Lord, that we can rest in it. Take our minds now, think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. This was my favorite service as a kid at high school uh, at, at Truro Church, going to lessons and carols. I circled this one on the calendar for several reasons, but the reality is it's always been used in my life, and I hope it's used in yours. If I could sum up in one verse all the texts that we're hearing read today, I think it would be found in the verse I'm going to preach on today. We're not going to read it. I'm just going to say it to you. You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In 1974, I was sitting by the fireplace watching to what then they were called the Washington Redskins play the Dallas Cowboys. And the Redskins scored a touchdown. And so the camera fixed to the kicker, and some dude stood up with a sign, and it said, John 316. I didn't know what that meant. I had no clue. I didn't read the Bible. We didn't go to church. And so I turned to my parents and go, what does John 3.16 mean? And my parents, being people who valued education and diligence and study, said, go look it up. <laughs> now, that was an imperative. all right, And I was expected to get up even though the game was on and go look it up it wasn't it wasn't a suggestion so next to our family room next to the fireplace was the study where I opened up this bible given to my father on Christmas day in 1956 at Bridgeport Advent Christian Church when my sister was four they went to Christmas Day service there, and the pastor gave my dad this Bible, and it hadn't been cracked open since. So I went, and I went to the index, because I didn't know where John was, and I found that John was approximately page 84 of the New Testament. I looked up John 3, 16, and I circled it in pencil, knowing that my dad wouldn't get mad at me if I wrote in the Bible. And I came back and I said, okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They smiled at me and I said, I believe that. And my dad goes, Well, you have everlasting life. I said, Boom, I'm good. So I put it back on the shelf, not to be open for about five more years. We hear that verse, and it's like white noise, isn't it? Well, I hope this morning you will see that it's not. I encourage you to turn with me in the back of your bulletin to this verse, because we're going to take it apart. Or in your Bibles, if you have them, or on your devices, just turn, uh, put them on airplane mode, please, because the fantasy scores just don't matter right now. And what we're going to see is several important points. First, Christmas is for everyone. John is speaking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and he says, for God so loved the world. And the world celebrates this day in so many different ways. In England, I have friends who are going to have a crown roast on Christmas Day. I have some friends in Australia. I asked them, what are you guys doing? They said, we're going to the beach. And they're going to eat Christmas dinner on the beach. Can you imagine? And in the Sherman home, we're going to cook out steaks. I don't care if it's 10 degrees. I'm cooking steak. You know? This is what we do. New York Strip. And you know, as familiar as John 3.16 is and Christmas is, Santa and the reindeer seem to get everywhere they need to go. And so, of course, John 3.16 It says what we expect it to say, for God so loved the world. So? And? Well, if there is a God then we're looking for, it's certainly a God who loves, right? That's what we're thinking. But Nicodemus, the man whom Jesus is addressing in John chapter 3, is a fundamentalist of his day. He wouldn't have blinked at the idea that God loved him, but the world... That would have challenged him. There was an exclusiveness in his worldview that this idea would have challenged. You know, I've invited folks to the carol service that we do and Christmas Eve. Every year, and my batting average is really bad. You guys do much better than I do because people know what I do. They think, oh, he's got an agenda. He's not going to get me. And uh, I ask them afterwards when they don't come. I missed you. What happened? And they go, well, Gene, we're just not that kind of Christian. As if there's a two-tiered Christianity. No, Christmas isn't just for sincere Christians or lukewarm Christians. It's for everybody. And Nicodemus is being shocked that it's not just for them. It's for the world. Isaiah 49 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up just the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus Christ is that servant of Isaiah 49. And the inclusiveness would have been a shock to Nicodemus. I doubt it is to us, though, we don't have Nicodemus' prejudices, and we don't have Nicodemus's awareness either of our natural hostility to God. It's an extraordinary thing to say God so loved the world. I mean, look at it, after all. we, we In our own naturalness, we don't want to hear it. This was demonstrated to me in Beaver, Pennsylvania. We're doing a Christianity Explored course, and so we started to talk about the doctrine of Genesis 3 that we read earlier, that we're all rebels in our own natural state. The Bible calls that sin. And then this young guy who was sitting at my table where we we're discussing it says, hey, I don't want anybody telling me how to live. We've heard people say that, right? If you've ever had teenagers, you know, you teens, we get it. But it can be a declaration of war. When grown-ups continue to speak like that, it is a declaration of war. War on God who has given me life. Maybe we haven't openly said it, but that's the way we live. One way or the other, we've all declared war on God, and God so loved that kind of world. He loves a world even though people don't want anything to do with him. He loves them anyway. That's why this Sunday is in the 4th Sunday of Advent. It's called the the Sunday of love. It's not Nat King Cole, L-O-V-E, love. It's the biblical definition of unconditional love for rebels such as us. And suddenly this verse takes on new meaning, doesn't it? It's not as ordinary as someone holding up a sign in a football game Because Christmas is for everyone. See, there's a lot of pride that would have to be swallowed before I enter that kind of Christmas, isn't it? It's bigger than I ever imagined watching football as a kid. God so loved the world, and Christmas is for everybody. Secondly, Christmas is forever. Now, I know we don't celebrate Christmas forever. There's only 12 days. I get it. And we'll go back to work on January 2nd or 3rd. But what I mean by that is that the point is Christmas is eternal. That There's an eternity in each and every one of us. God so loved the world so that we can have eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. John writes this as something you would expect. Well, of course it is. Nothing lasts forever. Everything has an expiration date. Climate change says the world is reaching an expiration date at a faster rate than we ever expected. And as we all know, people are perishing every day. The pandemic alone has taken over 800,000 Americans And even if you're COVID-free, we all suffer from the disease called sin that we all heard read. And therefore, because of that, we all have a beginning and an end date. We don't like to think about it at Christmas, but many families around us will celebrate Christmas for the first time without someone. But the good news here is that Jesus came that we should not perish, but have eternal life. This eternal life is opposed to perishing. To perish is eternal death, meaning living in the unfavorable presence of God. And we see Jesus speaking of this in 3.17-19. through 19. He keeps this conversation going. He says, this is not the natural bent of God, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I don't want anybody telling me how to live. I don't want anyone judging how I run my life either. Well, that's true, right? We all all feel that way. We all want evil exposed on those people. But we change the tomb when the light is shown on us. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, it's like Jesus puts his arm around him to suggest that Christmas can change all that's perishing. They shall not perish but have eternal life. It's life that's renewed now and carries on. It has present implications going on into the future all the way until the Lord changes this mess in the new earth when God creates a whole new world order in all its fullness. Because of Christmas, I need never have to say perishing is my end. I have eternal life. And that's radically different than many Christmases around us. Christianity Explored asks the question, if you could ask God one question and you knew he would answer you, what would you ask him? You know, Rico Tice and the team at uh, Christianity Explored took a survey. And you know what the number one question is? What happens when I die? Christmas, according to John 3.16, tells me I need to never have to stand condemned before God. I am right before God because placing my trust in Christ alone. Because Jesus came that we need not perish but have eternal life. See, God is doing something bigger than I ever imagined at Christmas. Christmas is for everyone. And Christmas is forever. And the third thing verse 16 teaches us is that Christmas is faithful. It's for the faithful, for the believing. It's kind of an obvious statement. But when you hear that word, what do you think of? Was it like me? Oh, I believe that. And put it up on the shelf and don't touch it again for five, six years. Is it polar express? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, that's wishful thinking. No, this is the biblical standard for belief is placing your trust, meaning your whole life, on the rock-solid reality of the existence of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who truly died, truly rose again, and truly ascended in front of witnesses. Like I believe that FDR was the president during World War II. Like I believe Abraham Lincoln was the president during the Civil War. Like I believe George Washington was the first president. Just keep going back, and you will discover Many manuscript evidences of the existence of Jesus Christ who claimed to be God. But yet he came humble. As verse 17 says, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's who we believe in. And look at the changed lives of the people who do believe in it. They go... At inconvenient times to work at Santa's workshop for CRS, they go visit homebound. They collect food items. Now, you got to be careful. I mean, there's there's people who don't believe this to do those types of things. But Jesus came that we might not perish and have eternal life. And many of the people that I invite and I get into conversations with in our community... you know, when I talk about faith, they look at me as if I have some kind of mental disease. But the reality is, everyone has faith. It's, the question is, what do you have faith in? Faith is a linking word. It's faith in something, or in this case, in someone. And Christmas links us to God and Jesus Christ. Christmas is a belief in a person that's set in history. It happened. This is not that some would try to tell you a belief in unicorns, minotaurs, or centaurs. Right? And furthermore, Jesus is a gift that God gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life the greatest expression of God's love there is is the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. If there are better ways for God to love me than sending Jesus, I have not understood Christmas. I don't want anyone telling me how to run my life. See, we understand that type of thing. We get it. But when you look at this verse and see he gave, Jesus Christ as a gift. Christmas isn't some kind of power play of God's. It's God giving, God sacrificing, paying the cost, serving. Can you imagine what kind of love to give your one and only? Parents, imagine giving your one and only. Those of you who are longing to be a parent. Imagine giving your one and only. That's the anyone of anyone telling me to run my life, is Jesus Christ. Christmas is not about giving, not taking. It carries right through Easter that this Jesus who was born in a manger, also as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, this Christ suffered for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Look at the difference that he makes, and this is why Christmas matters, and this is why we celebrate it. It means Christmas matters, and if you read on in John, you'll see what Christmas does. It changes people. The Jesus of Christmas is the difference between life and death in this life and into the future. Believing in the Jesus Christmas is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. I don't want anyone telling me how to run my life. But if Jesus is being king, he didn't come to oppress, he didn't come to hurt, but to heal. He came not to condemn, but to save. He didn't come to point a finger. He came to rescue. So, what did the belief in this look like in a person's life? My professor at Trinity, Gavin McGrath, shared the story of Dr. Stuart Miller in Sheffield, England. A friend of his, another associate at Christ Church Sheffield, good name for church, isn't it? Um, Christ Church Sheffield. Dr. Stuart Miller was well known in the city of Sheffield because he was a renowned skin surgeon. He did surgery on burn victims. It was very specialized. And he was well known as an Army surgeon throughout uh, his earlier career. And in retirement, he was very much involved in horse racing in the horse industry. He's just a great guy. And so when he died, the church was packed in his funeral. And at the reception, people stood up and they said all that Stuart had meant to them. And Hugh Palmer was the guy who did the funeral. And Hugh Palmer is now the rector of All Souls Langham Place where John Stott was the rector. And one time uh, during the reception, a kind of rugged guy walked up to him and and Hugh said, well, how did you know Stuart? He was an auto mechanic across town and the auto mechanic looked at Hugh Palmer and said, uh, he gave me my life because when I was a kid, I had burns over 80% of my body and he literally gave me my life. You see, when someone gives you his life, That makes a difference, doesn't it? And Jesus Christ gives us so much more. When you speak like that of Jesus, you've made sense of Christmas. He gave me my life. Death and judgment are what I deserve, but Jesus gives me life now and eternity. Anyone can say that, It crosses socioeconomic boundaries, racial boundaries, political boundaries. I can't be so good that I don't need him. I can't be so significant he doesn't love me. I can't be so bad that he won't save me. See, believing is about receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Savior and King. And it makes a radically different Christmas celebration. I don't want anyone giving their life for me. Well, if you won't receive this gift, you won't take that charity, that assistance, you'll miss out on Christmas. Friends, this is the one Christmas gift you must open. I encourage you to open it for yourself. We sing about it. and It describes experientially what happens at Christmas for the believer, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. May we all experience that this Christmas tide. Would you please pray with me? Oh, God of grace, you love us, but we have not loved you. You call, but we have not listened. We walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped up in our own suburban concerns, and by our actions and attitudes, we praise what you condemn. I pray, Lord, we pray that you would help us to admit our sin, that you would come to us in your mercy, and we may repent and turn to you and receive the gift of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Friend. Amen.